Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight we will be discussing how godly are you? I got an email just a few hours ago with a complaint and the complaint was it said that I send titles out for the class and I never talk about that subject. So I will I'm, I'm happy to be held accountable and hopefully um, at the end of today you'll clearly see how the subject title, the, the class title, How Godly Are You, is a direct um, effect or is, is going to be a direct outcome of, our cl of today's class. The point was to create anticipation. <laughs> Fantastic. But, but nonetheless, even with the anticipation, there is a complete, that is our goal today. Today we're going to discuss the essence of every human being, of, of every Jew. We'll discuss whether we perceive them this way, who they truly are. Whenever we're going to try and bring something, we're going to have to bring, we're going to have to bring proof from the Torah that that's true. We can't just make it up. And so whatever we're going to establish tonight, we're going to actually have to spend some time proving that this is true over the next while. We concluded last week, chapter 1, where in, in summary we discussed that you have the tzaddik, Benani and Rashi, you have the you have the holy, intermediate, and the wicked. We established that the intermediate is something each and every one of us can become, but he never sins. And we concluded for our, our subject matter, we concluded saying that every Jew has two souls. We we showed one of them is running through our blood. Anyone which soul runs through our blood? the animalistic soul, that is a soul giving us our body life. And today we're going to discuss our second soul. Which soul enters the body first, the animalistic soul or the second soul? The animal. The, the, the first one is the animal soul. Why does the animal soul enter first? To keep the baby alive. To receive the To keep the baby alive, fair enough. Oh, to receive the other. That's to receive the other. Let's go ahead and look inside of, if you, in your handout, or if you have a copy of the Tanya number one, let's just look at a quote from the Tanakh. Melissa, could you read one, could you read number one, please? Better a poor and wise child. This is a good inclination, and why it is called a child because it does not enter man until 13 years, Rashi, then and old. For when the child is born, it is put into him, as it is said, sin lies at the opening, and foolish king who no longer knows to receive abomination. So it's better a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. So the poor and wise child is a reference to the child, the youth inside of us, is our godly soul, and the old and foolish king is the animalistic soul. The reason being, the second a human, the second the Jew is born, the animal soul is within him, and only for a girl when, when for a woman when she receives her name, for a boy when they have their bris, and in, in an even bigger fashion, by the bar and bas mitzvah respectively, is when the godly soul truly enters. And that is why it's called the second soul. Um, Lottie, do you mind reading from the Tanya text itself, the second soul of a Jew? 
the second soul of the Jew is truly a part of God above, as it is written. He breathed into his nostrils a soul of life, and you have breathed it, the soul, into me. And it is written in the Zohar, he who blows, blows from within him. That is to say, from, in, from his inwardness and his innermost, for it is something of his eternal and innermost vitality that man emits through exhaling with force. Wow. Wow. This hits it right on. I, I, there's a misconception. The misconception is that the Torah is an analogy. The Torah is coming, it's teaching us lessons completely false. The Torah also teaches us lessons. The Torah is also an analogy, but whatever it says is the fact of the matter. Oftentimes, people will learn parts of the Torah and they'll say, you know, the Torah says, um, the Torah says such and such. It doesn't mean precisely that. It means something else. An example would be, the Torah says that he, the Torah says, and let's look in quote number two in the handout. It says, now what is the portion of God from above? The Torah, the Torah itself tells us that the soul is a portion of God. Each and every one of us, our soul is a portion of God. Comes along, someone will say, it doesn't mean literally our soul is a portion of God. It's, an, it's trying to make Robert feel good, right? You feel good knowing that you're... It's not an expression, it's a fact. And that is why Rabshner Zaman in the Tanya, good evening, Rabshner Zaman in the Tanya, he says, truly. In Hebrew, the word is mamish. Rabshner Zaman doesn't start off chapter 2 and say, the second soul is a part of God above. He adds a word that the Torah does not say. He says, truly. He wants you to know when the Torah says you're a part of God. It's not an analogy. It's not an example. It's a fact. You are truly a part of God. By the way, mamish in Hebrew, can anyone tell me what mamish in Hebrew means? R really? Or really? Or there's another meaning to mamish. Mamashut. What does mamashut mean? Me meaning or... It, it could also mean, mamish means literally, yes. Or as they say here, truly. But mamashut could also be physical. There's mamashut to this, there's substance. Anyone ever heard of the word mamashut in connection to substance in Hebrew? So that the, the translation we could read, we could read it a little different, we could say the second soul is within substance and still a part of God. That means even when the second soul comes into the substance of our body, it's still a part of God. Even though the second soul traveled greater than any other distance ever before and will ever be, this is a distance from God un until our world, nonetheless, we're truly a part of God. It hasn't changed. So, within each and every one of us is a real part of God. Just to go back to our question title, how godly are you? The answer is you're 100% godly. How godly may Baruch perceive you, that's up to you, how much you allow that to be revealed, and it's up to Baruch how much he could see. So again, we're all, our essence is all 100% God, but there's two clauses for me to be able to see that. Are you allowing it to be revealed? And am I able to 
perceive that godliness within you. We spoke, we mentioned this last week for a second. There is nothing in this world that could be alive that can exist without godliness. The, the worst thing in the world, the worst human being, the worst entity to ever exist has godliness within it. Without God, it's nothing. You can't, you can't be alive without God. To say something is against God's will is true. But it's not 1,000% true. I'm saying 100 because it's, it, 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 it's mostly true to say that something is going against God, but it can't completely because there has to be a spark of God within it. So we have this godly soul. Can any of you prove to me that we truly have a part of God within us? Melissa, what's a proof that we truly have a part of God within us? <coughs> Dr. Yosef, what's a proof? <laughs> Yishai. <laughs> Famous question, is God male or female? Anyone? Yes. 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 <laughs> what does yes mean? Both. Or neither? Or, or whatever. His attributes are both. Attributes are both. God is, is nothing. A definition to God is a limitation. God is higher than any, anything we could say. And the Torah starts off right away in right away in chapter Genesis 2-7. Chapter 2 and it says God let's just quote it from here. God blew into Adam. He blew into Adam. That's a, God has nostrils. He has a mouth to blow. What's this analogy, God blew? Sandra, what does it mean, God blew? Why doesn't it say just God created? And if he blew, I'd love to see a picture of it. How did it look? Maybe because part of his soul went into, uh, from God himself. So why using the analogy of blowing? Why does it say God spoke? Why? Because we don't have the mental capacity to be on that road. No, no, fantastic. I'm, you, you, you're doing great. And you're saying that we need an analogy. <laughs> no, absolutely. But I, I'm... You just stay in the class. <laughs> but my question is why... <laughs> why are we using the analogy of blowing? Why this specific analogy? Because it comes from deep within someone. Fantastic. Fantastic. Before we go ahead and say and, and say yes, yes, Gershon. Um, perhaps there's another reason because the Hebrew word for t to breathe, I think, is the same as, as neshama, right? Nafach. Blowing is with a pay. Oh, I thought was, I thought lean shown was also to to breathe. To breathe, but over here we're saying to blow. Oh. Neshima, Nish correct, is to breathe, but here we're saying yeah. neshima. So. Just to, quit, to first quote from Maimonides, Robert, could you, could you please read in the handout number three? We're the Creator. Were the Creator to have body and form, he would have limitation and definition, because it is impossible for a body not to be limited. And an entity, which itself is limited and defined, possesses, 
only limited in divine power. Since our God, blessed be his name, possesses unlimited power, and evidenced, as evidenced by the continuous revolution of the sphere, we see that his power is not the power of the body. Okay, so it's clear we cannot call God, we cannot say that God has a hand. Does the Torah say God has a hand? 100%. This is his strong hand. He took us out of Egypt. So yes, the Torah does give examples and we, for each one we need to clarify. But over here the Torah says blow. And the reason the Torah says God blew into Adam is because, exactly, exactly like Sandra said, fantastic, that there's blowing, which is you blow a balloon you get out of breath very fast. But yet we all know people that could talk and, non, and never stop, right? Are we all familiar with one or two people in our lives that can never stop talking? Talking doesn't really affect our essence. Blowing is something that comes from our essence. And to, so to express this point, God says, the Torah says, and God blew into Adam. God's essence is within the essence of each and every one of us. Yes? God is limitless. But when God is inside of us, God is limited, limited, by our physical being. By God has no limits, but when God enters a human, doesn't that limit God in the human form? When God is in a person, we are limited in what we can do. It's a fantastic question. You're saying God has limited himself by, by coming within us. Or we are a limit to him. Fantastic. It's a very good question. Any, any thoughts? Lottie. Sandra's calling on you. Right. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if we can say the opposite as well, that it is that uh, spiritual essence that we all embody that gives us uh, maybe infinite spiritual potential. So we have infinite spiritual potential, which is true. That's a reality. That's a good point that perhaps we're not limited. I just want to say that in chapter 3, we're going to touch upon, upon this in greater detail. I mean, we can't fly. You know, we are limited. We... We can't teleport. Well, maybe we can. I don't know. But um, I, I, as a human in a physical body, I feel limited to my physical body. Now I know that in in the mystical part of Judaism, which I am not familiar with all those things like teleportation and so on is possible. But I'm not familiar with We're going to get into depth. I just want to clarify that every day in Shema you say Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. Yes, yes. So obviously the creation of Aviva Stone is not a contradiction to the unity of God and to the oneness of God. Right. And that is going to be... I'm not going to answer it now because that's going to be a focus we're going to spend time on. And so it's a great question. Um, but it's something we certainly will answer. So, within each and every one of us, we now have the essence of God. And now, if you just look inside, just to quickly read it, you could see it says, The second soul of a Jew is truly a part of God. Above, as it is written, he breathed into his nostrils the soul of life, 
And then it says, and you have breathed into, into the soul, you have breathed it into the soul, into me. Could anyone just clarify why we need two passages? One passage should always be enough. Why do we need two? Well, the f- one is in the third person and one is in the second person. Fantastic. One of them is talking, the first one is talking about who? Fantastic. The first one is talking about the first human being into his nostrils. The second one is telling me, I'm not talking about Adam. You have, within to me, I have the essence of God. So we need both. We need to know about the Adam, the apple of God's eye, the first creation, and within each and every one of us. Creation happened through what? what? How was the rest of the world created? Through, again, using this analogy of blowing through an external part. What, are we saying something brilliant that the soul of a Jew is from the essence of God or that's all creation from the essence of God? Aviva, yes. God said and it happened. Okay, God said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that. But I don't believe, I don't remember if God said, let there be a human. Uh, There was different terminology. I I appreciate that. Let there is is something like as if just let it happen, I'm not so involved. Fantastic point. Very, very good point. Um, David, could you please read in the handout number four by the word? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and with the breath of his mouth, all their host. From Psalms chapter 33, verse 6. Fantastic. Um, I yeah. shut up all through this, but I need <laughs> to jump in. The essence, the life force, is the breath of the Almighty placed into the Jews. The breath is the very last essential quality which makes the amorphous mass into a human being expressing God's will. And God creates by his speaking, which is his breath. So we have to regard, and that's what leaves an individual when he ceases to be the instrument of the Almighty. So we have to regard the breath uh, as the essential quality at the beginning, you talked about the literal language versus the figurative language. We need to bear in mind that the scripture has to be written in terms which is comprehensible to us, right. comprehensible. Yeah. So therefore, we find that especially insofar as Hasidic Judaism is concerned, that the Torah must be regarded on a number of levels. The first level is the literal level and we can then take the rest of that up. Furthermore, our soul, as it is breathed into us, is God, from God, we must constantly bear in mind that we are the custodian of that soul essence. It is not permanently ours. It came, it is ours temporarily, and it transcends to another form. That is the essence of God. We don't own it. And we need to bear that in mind always. Fantastic. And again, we're going to go on, we're going to discuss that point throughout the Tanya. So thank you very much. Yes. I apologize for not being here last week, but I 
I have a question. Did God breathe into the soul of all mankind, not just Jews? Why do you say that? Because he imparted upon all of us his, his spirituality and his sanctity. It's not limited to Jews, not saying that we are not chosen for other things, but we, in this respect, and Hashem has created everything. So how can he not have created non-Jews? So, or breathed into their soul, into them, his soul. The, the, to, to discuss this at length, I'll ask you to listen to last week's class. Okay. But in, in, in short, in short, um, <laughs> no, I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing it because it was quite a big discussion last week. And uh, but but a counter question is, who amongst humankind is not descended from Adam and Eve? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So God blew into everyone through our descendants from Adam and Eve. Right. Yeah. So. Everyone You're asking a very, very good question. And to, uh, to just speak for a moment on it. Every human being was created by God. Every, cre every single thing in this world was created by God. But the, to say that there's a godly soul, and the definition of a godly soul we spoke last week, was someone that's able to completely release his body. He's completely able to look past his personal feelings, his personal um, needs. That's something that a Jew has, but uniquely. And that is the godly soul. So, the, within each and every one of us, we have this godly soul, and, and it's, it's our essence... We're now going to give three examples, three proofs that the essence of the Jew is his godly soul. The first one we said is the, the analogy of blowing, and like David read so well, that the rest of the world was created by the speech of God. But this definition of blowing is something that is unique to the Jew, that we have the essence of God within us. We have this godly soul. We're now going to say that a Jew comes from the thought process of God. We know thought is much deeper than speech, and a clear proof for that is it's easy to go ahead and think about something. But there's many times we can't express that in speech. Speech is taking something and breaking it down. So the Jew comes from the thought process of God, and we're going to conclude that the Jew, we know, is the chosen child, is, is the child of God. And, and again, a child comes from the essence of his father. And this third analogy, that a child comes, comes from the essence of his father, but the mother takes that essence and breaks it down, is really going to be something we're going to spend a lot of time on. 
to discuss the creation of a child, to discuss the, the part that a man and woman each respectively pl play within the creation of a child, of course, together with God. And that will then give us a wonderful understanding into our soul. So the let's look inside of the text. Let's continue directly. Gershon, do you mind continuing? So allegorically speaking. So <clears throat> allegorically speaking, of the souls of Jews risen in the divine thought. As it is written, my firstborn son is Israel, and ye are children unto the Lord your God. That is to say, just as a child is derived from his father's brain, so to use an anthropomorphism, the soul of each Israelite is derived from God's blessed be he, thought and wisdom. For he is Let's stop here, for he is wise. We've given three, we've now expressed three different proofs within the Torah. For this point, we mentioned before the blowing, we mentioned over here, the souls of Jews have risen in the divine thought, and we mentioned being a child. Three different proofs. Why do we need three? One is always enough. Why do we need three? We have three to go within each level. Blowing is a physical proof. It's something that we're able to fully understand. Thinking, in rel relative to speech, is a little more refined. And then the idea of a child and the creation is something that's even harder for us to fully grasp. So therefore we've given this, these three types of examples. What does it mean that a child comes from his father's brain? And the Talmud shares with us a story. Number five. Yishai, can you please read number five? Footnote number five. Levi was once sitting in the public baths when he saw a man shaking his head incessantly and exclaimed, Ah, this man's brain has wasted away. Now, he meant to imply, did he not, that he could not continue to live? No, said Abaye. He meant to imply that he could not procreate. So, so the brain is a, is a major part to the ability to procreate. Rashi in, in Tractate Chulin tells us that the... That the uh, so I'm, for this class, you'll forgive me, but uh, you won't forgive me. This is part, but we're gonna, I'm going to use the word, the semen, or s semen is correct? Am I saying it correctly? Semen. semen. Is, is everyone going to be comfortable? What is okay. the word? S semen or semen? Semen. 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 The German electronics manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> the, the semen... Rashi tells us begins in the brain, it then travels down the spine and to where, where it comes. The, the, this ability, again, to procreate the brain is necessary. So that means if we're saying that we're a child of God, that means that we come again from the brain or effectively the wisdom of God. Does that sound great? Not really. Because the wisdom of God itself is a tremendous limitation on God. Well, it may not be great, but it's profound because even modern psychologists say that the most important sex organ is the brain. That's if right. the brain does not, if you right. permit a bad pun, if the brain does not conceive of the action, it doesn't happen. Fair enough. Actually, it's a, just it's also a practical law in the Torah. Um, but we'll leave that for right now. You know, an, another technicality is if the essence of the father wasn't within it. So then, if it was just something external, 
so that then the child wouldn't have the essence of his father. And very often we see a child has a trace of his father again. So it's a, it's a proof that within, it, within this is the essence of the father. But seemingly, saying that we come from the wisdom of God is a limitation. Remember, God, we said, has no definition. How could we say we come from the wisdom of God and in the same breath say that we come from the essence of God? And so the Rambam now tells us something that we will never understand. Let me clarify this before we start. It is impossible to understand. But let's at least see the words that he uses. My Shemendel, please continue. For he is wise... For he is wise, and not through a noble wisdom, because he and his wisdom are one. And as Maimonides says... Let's skip the note. That he is, he is the knowledge and knower, and this is not within the power of any man to comprehend clearly. As it is written, can you find God by searching? And it is also written, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And though there are myriads of different gradations of souls in the Shemot, rank upon not rank upon rank and infinitum. Let's stop here. <clears throat> to, do, to say we understand God is a limitation. Unfortunately, you know, following the Holocaust, so every people came, they wanted to give an explanation what had happened. Right. <clears throat> and the truth is it's a foolish thought to think that I'm going to explain why the Holocaust happened. Who are, who are we to understand God's thought process? How could we envision to understand what had happened? And then people are complaining that it's impossible for there, to be of any, for there for any good to be within it. Now let me guarantee you that the Holocaust, number one, we have a promise. It will never happen again. There is a promise within the Torah that it won't happen again, which actually is something very comforting to know. Wait, that was after Noah, the flood. How was that after the Holocaust? That so, quote. How, how can I come to you clearly and tell you the Holocaust will never happen again? There's only one way. I'm quoting the words of the Rebbe. Okay. Without that, I would never have the power to say that, but the Rebbe clearly told us, it never, and, and why will it never happen again? Because it was not a punishment. After the Holocaust, it was not a punishment. After the Holocaust, and even, unfortunately, even now, some rabbis say if people keep, on, keep up what's happening in Israel and in other places, it will cause, cause another Holocaust. I, today, the class is, we're not going to talk about the Holocaust. But I can tell you clearly, for many reasons, and perhaps we should have such a discussion, to say that the Holocaust is a punishment for actions the Jews did is number one, is not understanding God properly. It is going ahead, and it's not understanding the Jew properly. And third of all, it's actually an abomination to God. To go and say, and, and I don't want to get into these details, but again, it's completely false to say that the Holocaust was a punishment. But this goes back to the initial point, that to say that we need to understand God, and we could understand God, is not even fair. You want to understand God. If God is God, then we're not, we're not going to understand Him. If at times He allows us to understand Him, you should know. He's playing a trick with you. For example, I'll give you an example. Some mitzvos, we have logical reasons. Right. We could explain why they happen. And the commentators say, don't think that's the reason God really gave it to us. And if you do, 
Just recognize that it's not true. <laughs> you could think that God made us keep kosher because it's healthy. Perhaps God made us keep Shabbos because He didn't want us to use our cell phones on Shabbos and not be able to spend time with our family. But to say that is the true reason is not true. God is greater than our understanding. God allows us at times to have a glimpse into what into His thought process. To just quote again Maimonides, God is the book. He is the person reading the book. And He is the person the book is about. Let's, let's see that again. He is the knowledge. He is the knower. And, and we're missing the third part, but again, He is the thing being comprehended. He is a person comprehending and he is, he, is the, he is the knowledge, he is the knower, and the known. And the known. Thank you. Yes, David. Is it not our job to take part in the contradiction, to get on the wheel, and to pursue the Ein Sof to each level, knowing full well that we will never succeed, but the journey is the important part, not the ultimate goal, and we must do that. Precisely. We need to try and understand God. But we have to know we'll never understand Him. That itself is a tough topic. And, but yes, we need to try as best as we can to understand God. So, that, so we all of a sudden have said that the wisdom of God is His essence. Right? We said God is the knower, He's the known. That means the wisdom of God is His essence. So saying that we come from the essence of God, saying that a child comes from His Father's wisdom, that means that He comes from His Father, He comes, the child comes from His Father's essence. Vicky mentioned before, Aviva mentioned before, Vicky, Vicky mentioned before how seemingly being a part of God is a limitation. Again, I mentioned in depth, we'll discuss it later at a later point. But just to give a small example of how you could have within a piece the whole essence. We see it in an apple. Oh, right. Take an apple, any part of the apple, and within that, within that part you have the whole essence of the apple. Just a small insight, a small, a small <coughs> method of perhaps giving us a little understanding what this means, that each one of us have the essence of God. If it's His essence, how can we have a part of it? An apple would be a, a small example. Any questions? So we've given these three examples. And I know I've been repetitious, but I'm doing so because we're about to enter, and we're going to do that right now, we're going to enter now into a major Kabbalistic field. Something that will give us tremendous insight it will clarify a major question. And that is, we all know there are tzaddikim, there are the righteous people, there are benim, the intermediates, and there are rishayim, the wicked. How can I go and tell you each and every one of us come from the essence of God? We all know that there's so many different levels of Jewish people. We all know we're on a different level, one from the other. We're not equal. And we even know that the souls of every Jewish person, not everyone, some of us come from the same level, but many of us come from different levels of God. 
the proof? Let's look inside of the Tanya and see a few proofs that each and every one of us come from a different source within God. Until now we're saying that each and every one of us, we are the essence of God. We... It's not true. Hello, Shlomo, please continue reading. We're, we're in chapter 2. And please continue reading. And although... In, do you see it's the beginning of a paragraph? And it says, and although there are... Next page. And though there are... And though, thank you, and though. Oh, okay. And though there are myriads of different gradations, gradation of souls, rank upon rank, and infinium, and infinitum. Oh, thank you. It's not Hebrew. Thank you. <laughs> As with the superiority of the soul, of the patriarchs, and of Moses, our teacher, above the souls of our own generations who live in the period preceding the preceding the the coming of the Messiah which as the very souls of the feet compared with the brain Let's stop here. Thank you so much, Hillel Shlomo. The Talmud attracted Sota, the last page, says some horrific things. You should, you, you should just know that the authors of the Mishnah, they clearly said they would not want to live in the time period that Sandra, Baruch, and each and every one of us is living. They clearly, in, in the tractate Sanhedrin, Rabbi Akiva says he would not live in our times. He said the time... Before Mashiach, I don't want to see. Why? 2,000 years ago, they said why? Because it's going to be a tragic time for the Jewish people. It's going to be a sad time. Horrific time. And, and we, all, we all see that with our own eyes. We don't need to look in the Talmud. The Talmud tells us what's going to happen. 2,000 years ago, the Talmud already shared what's going to happen now. But unfortunately, we, th we see with our own eyes. The authors told us they don't, want to, they don't want to be in our generation. Our generation is called, within the, track, in, within the Talmud, it's called the soul of the Jewish people. Not the soul as the, the neshama. It's called the soul of your heel. That means our souls are lower than all the souls preceding us. So all of a sudden there's a difference. Could anyone remind me what Rebbe stands for? We discussed this in a previous class. Teacher. Rebbe is the... Yes, Rebbe stands for teacher, but we said it's also an acronym for Rosh Bnei Yud, Rosh Bnei Yisrael. The Rosh, what does Rosh mean? The head. The head, what, I'm, a, I'm a head. Why am I not a head? We all have the same soul. We all come from the same place. He's a head? No, I'm a head. That means that all of a sudden there is different types of souls. There's the head. 
And then there's the heel. When I was teaching this to my students, I would point, I said, oh, you're, you must be the hair of all the Jewish people, and you're the, you're the, you're the fingernail. Each one of us, we're all, we're all comprised one body, one full human body, and each and every one of us make up a part of that body. Some of us are the nose, some of us the eyes, some of us the eyebrows. So how can we go ahead and say that we all have the same essence? There are millions of types of souls. And if we look inside of the Tanya, we're going to see there's not millions, there's billions. Let's look inside of what was just read for one second. Oh, actually, we're going to get to that, mom we're going to get to that momentarily, see how there's billions, actually, yes. I, I want to reinforce what you said. Yeah. You were saying that although the essence of God is in all of us, there are different parts of His essence. Well, that can't be. No, they can't be. Is that Correct. And we're clearly saying that within each and every... We have this contradiction. We're saying within everyone is, is the essence. But yet, we're saying <laughs> you only have the smallest part of the essence. It's nonsense. If it's the essence, it's the essence. Oh, so you're just translating a sentence from the Tanya for us when you're saying that. I'm asking the question of the Tanya right now. The, ta okay. the Tanya is saying that there are each and every one of us is a different part of this body. Right. But how could that fit if we just said previously that right. each and every one of us has the essence of God within him? Right. If we have the essence, the essence can't be broke. The essence of something doesn't have a top and bottom. If it's the essence, it's the essence. Right. So how are, how are we saying that that you're the head and I'm the toenail. But we, how could that be? There's no head, there's no toenail. We're all from the essence of okay, God. Okay, I understand. And we all believe that there are different levels within, within, within each and every one of us. We all have our rabbi. We have our rebbe. We have the person we look up to. Why are you looking up to him? Obviously, that person has a greater soul. How could that be? This is a major question. And let's add to the question. Let's read a little further. Um, Lottie, could you please continue reading? I'm sorry. We're, we're up to so in every generation. With so in every generation, there are the leaders of the Jews whose souls are in the category of head and brain in comparison with those of the masses of the ignorant and the ignorant. And the ignorant. Likewise are the distinctions between nefashot and nefashot and nefashot. Good. Uh, for every soul consists of nefesh, ruach, and nefashot. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I was once in yeshiva in California and this African-American walks in, he must have gone to the Kabbalah Center, and he starts shooting at me all of these different, ex all these, these different Kabbalistic quotes, and one of them was, Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechid. Anyone here familiar with these five terms? Melissa's familiar. Anyone else? By raise of hand. What were the other two? Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechida. Not the last. Not the last two. The first three, where are you familiar with yeah. them from? What's that? Where are you familiar with the first um, three from? Because uh, the Ram Paul's book. The, uh, the Ram Chal. The, uh, 
Has anyone ever seen in front of where the, where the Chazan prays from often there is either a menorah with five candles, with five electronic lights, or you'll see five candles. Anyone ever saw that in a show? Very often you see five candles. Why five candles? The answer is representing the five parts of every soul. Every soul has five parts. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechida. The first three are within, within you. Robert, when I look at you, I know within you are Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. There's two parts of your soul, Chai and Yechida, that are still on high. That is why when you go to sleep, you could get some divine inspiration because your, the three parts of your body within you are connecting with those two on high. So, your, Gershon, your whole soul is not within you. We would say... Uh, Three-fifths of your soul is currently enclosed in you. Two-fifths are still on high. Yes, Gershon. Um, okay, so in the beginning tonight, we said that every Jew has two souls, an animalistic soul and a godly soul. Yes. Does that mean that each of the souls... Fantastic. Is you have... Five? Correct. Each one of your two souls have these five parts. Very good. Yes. So that's ten and that's a million. That's ten. Well... <laughs> <laughs> remind me about that. that there's a lot of stories... In, 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 it's true, but soon, soon we're going to see even more than that. No, no, I want to say it's so true. Um, but in chapter 3 we're going to see that within each soul, within each part of these five so within each one of these five parts of each soul is number 10. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see that as we get into it. So, we have five parts to our soul, but we're only mentioning the first three again because those, those are the lowest three that are actually currently within us. So these three parts of our soul, says Rav Shneir Zalman, Nifashot, regarding Nifashot. That means our Nefesh, our Ruach and our Nishama. Each one of these three could be on a different level. That means my nefesh may be lower than Yishai's nefesh, but my ruach may be higher than Yishai's ruach. So with these, not only do we all have different neshamot, we even have different nefashot. Nefesh, ruach, neshama. So there's so many differences, we can't even... That's what Rabbi Shneir Zalman says. Um... As, I, I don't want to pronounce it because David's going to correct me. How, how do you say that? Ita those two italic words. Add. No, go ahead, Sandra. What were you saying? Add infinite. Add infinite. So it's a, it's a, within each one of these three parts, nefesh, ruach, neshama, there are millions, billions of different levels. So how can we say? And with this, we'll conclude. How can we start off the class saying, how godly are you? And saying, you are completely godly of the essence of God? Nonsense. We've just proven <laughs> we all come from a different part of God. And if we're not going to be able to answer this question, then we need to stop learning Kabbalah. If we're not going to recognize how, on the one hand, the essence of every Jew is the essence of God, but on the other hand, we're saying that he's a lower Jew. But we're done. The whole basis of Chabad is saying that within each and every Jew is the essence of God. And without that essence connecting to us, we're history. Remember that God wouldn't have given the Torah without each and every one of us. No matter how high and low we are. Within each and every one of us, we're all that body. 
You don't, you don't talk to half of a body, you talk to the whole body. When God gave the Torah, He needed the whole body there. He needed each and... Remember, we make up this one body. That's why we go out, as, as a famous rabbi once said, he said, the Germans, the Nazis, hunted down Jews out of hate. And the Rebbe hunted them down out of love. That's our mission. Our mission is we have to hunt down every Jew. We have to find them because they're making us up. They're making up our full body. This doesn't make sense. Okay, it does make sense, but we're not going to answer it this week. So, to summarize, we all have the essence of God, and that's what you should go home with. Next week we'll understand how it could be that at the same time we all come from a different level within God. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll take a question and then we'll have a Yes, David. We have to bear in mind